Well, good morning, everybody. I confess, I got here very early this morning and promptly went into the wrong bathroom. And Kurt Duggleby was kind enough just before I totally embarrassed myself and knocked on the door and got me out of there. But yeah, it's confusing around here. So glad that you're here. And I'm delighted to be a part of this weekend with you. I want to start by reading a very simple verse, just one verse. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. Sounds like such a simple declaration, and yet I have come to treasure the rich meaning of every one of those words. Today we're going to look at another B-team player, a remarkable woman who likely walked this earth about 3,000 years ago. And if Deborah were here this morning, I think she would look at all of us, and long before you used to see this question on greeting cards or posters, I think she would ask us this, what would you do if you weren't afraid to fail? What comes to your mind? What would you do? What would you try? What would you risk if failure wasn't even a possibility? I believe that many of us have allowed our fears to prevent us from boldly and bravely stepping in to the extraordinary things God wants to do through our lives. And so we're going to look at this courageous leader and I invite you to pay attention to what God stirs up in you today. We'll begin with some background and history to provide context. The people of Israel were led by judges from the time of the elders who outlived Joshua until the period of the monarchy when they had kings. This was about three to 400 years of judges, and it all began about uh, 1,300 years before Christ. Now, when you think of a judge, we're not talking about the kind of judges in our courts today, and certainly not about Judge Judy. So let me describe to you the kind of judges back then. Actually, it was the leader of the people. So the equivalent of a president or a king. The judge was both a military and a civil leader and also a spiritual leader, spending time delivering people from some oppressor, but also listening to their issues and settling disputes. After the death of Joshua, the children of Israel were supposed to displace the Canaanites who lived in the Promised Land. And they were supposed to cleanse the region from its paganism and worship of idols. But a cycle began, and we've talked about this here at Soul City before, this cycle when the people would forget about God who had delivered them, and they would begin to adopt the morals and the kind of religious practices of the people in the land. And then they would get in deep trouble. The phrase that shows up again and again is the people did what is right in their own eyes. In other words, not what God said, what was right in their own eyes. And then God, because of their disobedience, would allow raiders to invade the land. People would get in great distress. They'd call out for help to God, and he would raise up another judge who would guide them back to appropriate worship of God, and then they would have a time of peace. There were five cycles of judges, and Deborah is the only woman. She came along at a time when Israel was very far from God. The society was in a tragic and violent place because of their disobedience. Thieves had invaded the land, there was economic collapse, and people were confined to their homes because of violence, much like some of the neighborhoods here in Chicago. Children could not play in the streets. The people had been sold into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, and his army was commanded by a man named Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots and cruelly oppressed the children of Israel for 20 years. So Judges chapter 4 tells the story of Deborah. 
Chapter 5 is actually a recorded worship song. It's a song of victory. This is something they used to do back then when they would not, you know, have the Bible. They didn't have this book. But they would record a song that they would all learn together, and that's what Chapter 5 is all about. So I want to invite you to pull out the Bibles in front of you in the seat pocket or under your seat and turn to page 167, the book of Judges, 167, and we're looking at chapter 4. I'll give you a second to find it. Page 167. We're going to begin in chapter 4, verse 4, the same verse that I started us off with at the beginning. Okay, here we go. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulon and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kaishan River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kedesh. All right, before we learn the outcome of this battle, let's pause for a moment and talk about what we know of Deborah. She is the only judge who was also called a prophet. And in her role as judge, Deborah would sit under a tree. She didn't sit on a throne or in a fancy tent, but she was a servant leader whose day job was to sit there and listen intently to other people and their concerns, kind of like a counselor or a judge. And I can imagine them lining up in the morning and she would tell her children, I got to go to work. And she'd go sit under this palm tree. We are also told that Deborah was a wife, which makes her very relatable. And it's probable that she was also a mother. And she displayed the heart of a mother to her people. Deborah was a military leader, a civic leader, a political leader, and a spiritual leader. One writer described her as the president, the pope, and Rambo, all wrapped up into <laughs> one individual. Not a bad resume for a middle-aged woman living in the hierarchical and oppressive Middle Eastern culture of that time. God appointed Deborah to lead Israel at this very point in history. She called her people to leave idolatry behind them and to return to God. And then she got a vision, a very clear picture from God to summon Barak to go into battle. She could see in advance that God was going to miraculously deliver his people. And we discover that when Barak asked her to go into battle with him, Deborah agreed and took that risk. So let's pick up the story in verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord outed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth Hagoim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. 
Okay, for those of you who like military strategy and details, the Lord was planning to draw Sisera into a huge trap. For the battle site, Sisera had chosen the valley of Jezreel along the Kaishan River. This was an area where his chariots could maneuver and attack from any quarter. But God thwarted his plan by sending a huge storm and flood. This is described in chapter 5. Even in modern times, storms have caused that area along the Kaishan River to become impassable. In fact, in April 1799, the flooded Kaishan River catapulted Napoleon to victory over a Turkish army. So all of Sisera's armies were killed, every last man, except for Sisera. He got away on foot. Sounds like sort of a cowardice move on his part. He leaves everybody in the battlefield and he disappears. And then the story takes a dramatic new turn with the leading role played by another woman used by God, and her name was Jael. She tricked Sisera. She invited him into her tent. He wanted to go to sleep. He asked for some water. And instead of water, she gave him warm milk, the old warm milk trick. So he fell asleep. He totally was knocked out, absolutely exhausted. She grabs a peg and a hammer, and she drives it into his forehead and kills him on the spot. This is in the Bible. Now, God delivered Israel largely through two women, Deborah and Jael. It's difficult, I don't know about you, but for me, it's honestly difficult to read about all the violence and wars in the Old Testament. And I think we need to remember that it is a story of evolving human consciousness. And God had to reveal himself through what he had to work with at the time. After this particular battle, the land enjoyed peace for 40 years, which was twice as long as any other judge uh, before Deborah. I'm so inspired by Deborah. And I believe she sets an example for us, both male and female here today. If she could sit under the palm tree and we could be in her line, and then we would get a moment, we would get our chance to sit in the chair with Deborah. I wonder what kind of lessons she would teach us. I think, first of all, Deborah would call all of us to lean in. Judges 5 is Deborah's song. And in verse 7, she says, Village life in Israel ceased, ceased until I, Deborah, arose. She arose. She rose up and responded to the call of God to lead her people. But just think about all the reasons that that is astonishing. Even in modern times, we take note when a woman takes up and takes the, rises up and takes the lead. Take a look at all the excitement over Wonder Woman movie and how great it's doing. So even today, we pay attention to things like that. But back then, this was unheard of. Deborah was bold and brave in hugely significant ways. She overcame enormous obstacles in that patriarchal and a very oppressive culture she lived in. But I still wonder if some of her greatest hindrances were actually internal. Facebook executive Sheryl Sandberg writes about what it means to lean in in her excellent book, Targeting Young Women Leaders. And she writes this, internal obstacles are rarely discussed and often underplayed. Throughout my life, I was told over and over about inequalities in the workplace and how hard it would be to have a career and a family. I rarely heard anything, however, about the ways I might hold myself back. 
These internal obstacles deserve a lot more attention, in part because they are under our control. We can dismantle the hurdles in ourselves today. We can start at this very moment. Internal obstacles take a variety of forms, but I believe that the most effective ways the evil one seeks to thwart us is by filling our minds with lies. He's called the father of lies. And we all have a running commentary in our head. The voices in our head, a friend of mine calls it the obnoxious roommate who must be kicked out of our head. And surely, Deborah had these negative voices as well. They persistently tell us lies like these. I'm not good enough. I'm not educated enough, I'm not old enough, I'm not young enough, I'm not the right gender, I'm not the right race, I don't have enough money, I don't have the right gifts, I'm not good looking enough, I am simply not enough. And when we allow these voices and lies to take root, we're filled with doubt and insecurity and most of all, fear. We're afraid of ever, what other people will think and we're tremendously afraid of failing. Sheryl Sandberg says this about fear for women in particular. Fear is at the root of so many of the barriers that women face. Fear of not being liked, fear of making the wrong choice, fear of drawing negative attention, fear of overreaching, fear of being judged, fear of failure, and the holy trinity of fear, fear of being a bad mother, wife, and daughter. True confessions, I've experienced every one of those fears. When God first called me into a significant leadership role, I was 27 years old. At the time, I thought I was far too young and inexperienced. I was hired to lead a team of men and to sit on a leadership team where I would be the only female for several years. I was tentative, afraid to take risks. I didn't know how to lean in, and I wish that book had been written back then, but I didn't have that book. I didn't know how to be feminine in a boys club how to lead with the right combination of boldness and grace. That's why I love that Deborah calls herself a mother in Israel. She chose that description over prophet or judge or leader. She didn't try to prove herself by reminding other people of her powerful position. Instead, Deborah leaned into who God made her to be and then simply led. All of us in this room face obstacles and we fight the lies that are voices in our head. These voices change from season to season, but the fears are very real. Ironically, I once thought I was too young to play a leadership role, and now the voices in my head are always telling me I'm too old, and now I'm irrelevant. And I wanna say something to those of you in the room today who are over 50. I know there aren't many of us, but there are some. Week after week, my husband and I come here and we sit there and sometimes he'll look at me when the gathering is over and he'll say, I am the oldest person in this room. And I can't argue with him. He probably is the <laughs> oldest person in the room. But we believe, even those, those voices are in our head, we believe God has us here for such a time as this. And if you are older than 50, he has you here for a purpose. There's mentoring to be done. We need to come alongside and encourage the younger leaders. And we get inspired by the energy in this place and what God is up to. So no matter what age we are, we have voices in our head and they need to be arrested. What are the lies and fears you need to admit that threaten to keep you from fulfilling your purpose? What are your top two or three that keep sailing in and telling you you're not enough or telling you that you're gonna fail? I challenge you today 
to lean into the call of God and replace those lies with his truth. We need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. This is a daily battle. I'm learning, you can't just do it once. Every day, you gotta pay attention to what the lies are and the voices in your head, and then you must re refuse to allow them to take control. Debras are people who will not apologize for the call of God on their lives and who stand boldly in response to how God leads them. In what ways today do you need to lean in instead of caving into fear? Now, if we were by the tree with Deborah, she would very quickly follow up on the idea of leaning in with a second vital lesson. She would tell us that she could never have leaned in if she didn't know how to lean on. And if Sheryl Sandberg ever writes a sequel, it should be called Lean On. Because what I'm learning is we have to lean on before we can lean in. Deborah drew her confidence and strength from her relationship with God. Before she was a warrior, she was a worshiper. And it was in the quiet places, listening to God, that she received the wisdom and the confidence to guide her people. The only way she knew the exact day that Barak should go into battle was because God revealed it to her. Then we must say she made room to listen. Deborah knew how to wait in quiet, and she also knew the source of her gifts and strength. And with the psalmist, Deborah would proclaim, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. My friends, it's only when we come away and are still with God in the quiet places and fill our minds with this book and give him room to talk to us in just space, it's only then that we have the strength and the wisdom to boldly move into what he's asking us to do. There's an ancient saying that says there are two wings required for any of us to soar. One wing is the contemplative wing. This is the wing that withdraws. It's the wing that other people actually do not see. It's invisible. And it's the space that you carve out intentionally to be alone with God. It's the worshiping wing. The other wing on the other side is the activist wing. This is the bold one that moves into action. Can't wait to get something done. Doesn't sit still, just moves out there. And the truth is that we need both wings to soar. And it's important to know which one you naturally sort of lean into. I am much more inclined to be an activist. I just want to get out my to-do list and go. I want, to, I want to make something happen. But I need to fortify my contemplative wing, my worship wing, or else I'm just out there doing stuff on my own energy and it's not going to really last. So know which one is weaker for you and constantly say, I don't want to be a one-wing person. I want to flap both of them so I can be strong for God. The entire fifth chapter, as I mentioned, of Judges is this worship song. And in it, Deborah, over and over again, gives credit where credit is due to God, to, for him timing that storm at just the right time to thwart the enemy. And she calls you and me today to lean on the everlasting arms of the Father and then partner with him, partner with him boldly stepping into whatever it is he calls us to do. Now, there's two supporting players in Deborah's story. Both of them are men, and they both have lessons to teach us. One is Barak, and one is Lapidoth. 
I think it's important to note that in the entire story of Deborah, we cannot find a single instance of a man challenging her authority or refusing to follow her lead. Some people read about Barack and they kind of give this military leader a bad rap because he wouldn't go into battle without Deborah. I think there's another way to look at this. I actually think if we dig a little deeper, we'll see that Barack saw and respected Deborah's wisdom and her insightful leadership. And he was smart enough and more importantly, humble enough to be willing to collaborate with her, to want to say, you know what, let's each bring our strengths into this situation. And throughout my life, I've had the opportunity to see the power of men and women working together with mutual respect and honor and humility. I see it all the time here at Soul City, starting with our co-lead pastors, Jarrett and Jeannie. I remember a few weeks ago, I was sitting in the back and Jarrett was teaching. I don't remember the overall subject, but at the very end of his message, he said these words, and I sat up straight and listened, and maybe some of you heard them as well. He said, here at Soul City, we do not allow women to use their leadership and teaching gifts. We expect them to use their leadership and teaching gifts. And in that moment, I felt so ennobled. And I thought, I'm so grateful to be a part of a place where gender is not the point and where people can rise up and use their gifts no matter male or female. Yeah. Which brings me to Lapidoth. We only hear him mentioned one time in the Bible, in the verse describing Deborah. It says, Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth. In other words, he was known as Mr. Deborah or the judge's husband. And I learned that his name has a very rich meaning. The name Lapidoth means lighter of torches or fanning of flames. And we see a picture of a partner who fans into flames the gifts and destiny of the other. This is no small thing, especially back then. In the patriarchal times of Deborah, if her husband had forbidden her to use her gifts, which was his right in that culture, that would have blown up any chance for Deborah to lead her people. Her gifts would have been completely shut down. But these two people instead... Deborah and Lapidoth learned to do the delicate dance of marriage and ministry. And Lapidoth was secure enough, grounded enough in who he was to allow his wife to soar. All of us, no matter our gender, can be a Lapidoth. We can fan into flames the gifts of our spouse or our roommate or our best friend or our coworker. And this is its own kind of strength. And any leader is truly blessed to have a Lapidoth. I know because I have one in my corner and his name is Warren. In all my life, he has fanned into flames my gifts. Even though in many cases, he's been known as Mr. Nancy. And he's, you know, not as out front, but he is no less important. And he is secure enough in who he is to allow me to soar. He has never resented situations where he is in the background. Being a Lapidoth for another person includes telling them when to get off the crazy train because there's wacky things in their head that they need to stop believing. It includes giving them perspective, kind of exchanging those lies with God's truth and reminding them of what is true. You are a Lapidoth 
Whenever you give a person perspective when something doesn't work well, when something fails, and you are a Lapidoth when you are the first one to raucously celebrate a victory and cheer them on. A Lapidoth is a safe place and sometimes a truthful challenger. Who can you and I be a Lapidoth for? How can we help another person to be brave and to lean in and to lean on and to step into the call of God with their lives and do something extraordinary? I want to highlight just a few modern-day Debras for you, people I know who are tremendous examples of leaning in and leaning on. First, I want to tell you about my friend Beth Meadows. Beth became a single mom when her children were young, and she was only in her early 20s. Her husband was an alcoholic, and he left her, and she needed to support them. And so she asked a neighbor for a loan so she could start a small business. She had this inkling that maybe she was somewhat of an entrepreneur. She started her first small business, and that one really succeeded, and she started many after that, several successful businesses out here in the suburbs. And then, because Beth is so uh, wanting to serve God, she went on a missions trip. And it happened to be to Nicaragua, which is the poorest country in Central America. For some time, she had felt this stirring inside of her. And on that trip, she observed many women, single moms like her in many cases, who could not support their families and could not pay the school fees for their children. And then Beth got an idea. And I believe it came straight from the heart of God. She wondered if she could help these women start small businesses in their homes, a micro-franchising business where they would sell fresh produce to people in their neighborhood but never have to leave their children uh, to do the business. And they can't get fresh produce in most of these barrios, so it was a way of ushering in healthy food for everybody. But Beth had so many voices in her head, so many fears. She thought, I don't know how to speak Spanish, I'm afraid of fundraising. I don't I even want to speak in front of people ever. I have a terrible fear of public speaking. I don't know that much about Nicaragua. I don't know the culture. It would have been exceedingly easy for Beth to have all these excuses, legitimate excuses, and just say, I'm just going to bury that idea that I think God gave me. I'm going to let it go. But Beth refused to ignore the voice of God, and Supply Hope was born. I had a chance to travel to see this ministry in action with my daughter, Johanna, who works for Beth. And while we were there, there was a meeting once a month. There's now 105 women with these micro-franchising businesses. And once a month, they take buses and they come from all over the city to a room that Beth rents, and they have a time for training and equipping and encouraging each other and refreshments. They all dress in their very best clothes, whatever they have, and you can see the pride in these women, the dignity they feel. Their eyes are shining because they're supporting their family and they're doing really good work. And I am so proud of Beth. Another woman had an idea when she traveled to Togo. This skirt that I'm wearing uh, comes from a woman in Charleston, South Carolina, Katie Waters. She went over to Togo and what Katie's really good at is fashion. And she happened to notice all these beautiful fabrics there and also noticed a lot of women who could not feed their children and support them. So she came home and started a business. It's called Francis and Benedict. You can Google it if you want. And they uh, make clothing. They hire these women as seamstresses. And they're all earning a living now. And she sells it in first world countries. 
And it's going fabulous just because she had an idea and she leaned in and leaned on. Now, you don't have to go to a faraway country to be a modern-day Deborah, and you actually don't even have to be female. I also want to introduce you to Tony Escobar. Tony is a modern-day Deborah as well. He's been going to Soul City for several years, but when he first came here years ago, he was in a broken place. He had been in urban ministry for a long time, and he and his wife had helped to plant a church here in Chicago that didn't work, that had to be closed down. Tony told me he sat in these seats for nine months just trying to heal up and trying to figure out what's next, God? What are you up to? And how am I going to support my family? He has three children. He'd always been in urban ministry, but God gave him this idea to move into the financial sector, into the business world, and maybe be able to push some resources towards kingdom work, towards God's work. But he had a lot of voices in his head. First of all, he said, I don't have any formal business training Secondly, I feel guilty because wouldn't that kind of be like abandoning ministry to go into the business world? But it was God's voice and he couldn't deny it. After a lot of twists and turns and frankly, some real strain on his marriage during that time, a lot of experimenting, God introduced him to a guy here at our church who hired him for a group called Thrivent. And now for the last three years, Tony has been a financial advisor to individuals, helping them manage their money helping them figure out God's principles for sound money management. And here's the coolest part. God has shown him that this is a ministry. He's learning that these folks are becoming more generous, and he is releasing resources back into kingdom work. He also taught a workshop here recently for parents and kids about money matters. So Tony is truly leaning in and leaning on. And finally, I have to tell you about two young Debras in my life, my daughters, I know I brag about them all the time, but they're artists. And when they were little, they played in the basement with 300 or so of those little figurines you get at McDonald's, you know, like little baby Jasmine and all those people. And they created a whole alternate universe down in our basement, a whole town. And I always wondered what would come of that. They were both um, theater majors. Well, they've created a theatrical piece of miniature toy theater, including a set that they are about to take on the road on a summer adventure. They are going to go to, I think, five different states from Louisville to Asheville to Nashville, all the villes somewhere they're going. And they're gonna be in people's homes in their living rooms for about 15 people at a time, also going to some children's homes and children's hospitals to do some charity performances. And they're gonna tell this story that's family friendly and got positive themes. And they had so many voices in their head, like this is so wacky, we don't even know how to explain it to anybody, and how are we gonna break even, and what if the set falls apart or the car breaks down? But they're going for it. They're facing their fears, and they're living out who God called them to be, and I couldn't be prouder of them. So what is God stirring up in you today? What are you hearing from him? Some of you, it's high time you arrest a fear a lie, a voice in your head that's keeping you from leaning in. Some of you realize that you've been kind of lopsided with your wings. Maybe you need to fortify your contemplative worship wing. Or maybe it's time to come away from the prayer closet and do something. I don't know which, which it is uh, for you. And maybe some of you were stirred up to be a stronger Lapidoth in someone's life, to be the support and advocate and truth teller to someone so that they can soar. I'd like to invite you to stand 
and I'm going to give you a moment to talk to God, whatever is on your mind. I know after I hear a message, sometimes I just need a moment to process and say, well, what in all of this, God, is for me? What do I need to take away? And after you've had a moment of quiet, I'm going to lead us in a prayer that came out of a book I read about Deborah. This particular beautiful prayer was written by Michelle McLean Waters. And if you agree with it, agree in your spirit with how I lead us after a time of quiet. Let's be quiet. Lord, I pray that you will awaken me to the call you have for my life. Remove any bondage of fear from my heart and mind. Let your wisdom and courage rest upon me. Awaken me from slumber. I loose myself from passivity and apathy. Let me be alert to your voice. Let me be aware of your purpose. I thank you, Lord, that you are an extraordinary God and you will accomplish extraordinary things through me. I release myself from self-imposed limitations. I am not in this world by chance. I'm not in this decade by chance. I am a modern-day Deborah. Amen.